VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This episode brought to you by the following patrons. Sex Caliber Bones a lot. Madeline Edward, Sunzi, Alyssa, Vixen, Holly, Natasha, Laura, Boise, Jeremy, Ali, Mr. Rage Bomb, Libby, West, Dreskel, Aaron, Kristen, Tia, Jonathan, Isaac, and Karoon. And all the patrons want you to know you're loved, you're listened to, and you're a valuable member of this awesome horror virgin community. And if you want to hang out with us, do so in the Facebook group where we really deep dive on 60s horror daily. Let's try to find the murder of a few women. We got to find something funny about it. Well, a woman and a dude who gets slashed across the face. Mr. Arbogast. I love the way the sheriff said his name. It was ridiculous. Arbogast is such a crazy last name. Your last name might as well be like Slide Whistle Spittoon. Like, that's how crazy it is. <laughs> Don't you make fun of my grandfather. Your grandfather's <laughs> last name was Arbogast? Slide Whistle Spittoon. <laughs> <laughs> Because this is our 300th episode, like the movie 300, we're recording topless. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning into Horror Virgin on Page. I'm Mikey. And I'm your Horror Virgin Todd, which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys have made me watch 300 of them at this point. Mm-hmm. As we are now doing the episode on... Psycho! Psycho! So was this the first time any of us had seen this movie? No. I've seen this many times. That does not at all surprise me on either count. And I've seen... Parts of this, I would guess. Portions of this movie, yeah. Yeah. Because this was like a very common movie that would like be on at a friend's place, you know? And I wouldn't like be watching it, but I would be like hanging out at my friend's basement where like a lot of us hung out, you know, during the summers and stuff. And like... It would be on, but I would never really watch it. So I would just like walk in through the room and say like, oh, that's a, a dude in a wig who can't keep his mouth closed inexplicably in this final scene. Uh, but I had no context as to what was going on. So today was the first time I actually watched the movie, like sat down and watched it, watched it. Uh, it's on TV a lot. So I feel like a lot of people have seen it on television because <laughs> it was on TV literally weeks ago. And I was like, oh, psycho and sat down and watched like an hour of it and then went on with my Thanksgiving day or whatever I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you guys think of the movie then? I actually really enjoy it and actually really enjoyed watching it last night because I was like, it's always different watching movies for the show yeah because especially ones that i've seen before because then i'm kind of like looking for new things and to be honest we joked before starting this episode not much happens in this movie but i think i was struck by a how much work the score is doing in this movie yeah man Um, it's iconic oh and it's so like movie scores do not slap this hard anymore but this score is like I'm also an actor in this film. Like yeah. that's how present the score is. The lighting. Yeah. And in part, there are limitations with this movie with what they can do visually, obviously, just from a technological standpoint. Yeah. But also what they were legally allowed to show in movies. Oh, I actually me- mentioned this to Natalie. We watched it together. Yes. And I was like, man, we've seen her in her just her bra like three times in this movie. And that's that surprised me for a movie that came out in 1960. Yeah. Scandalous. They also showed a toilet, which was a big deal. I remember that being a thing. That was a big deal. And 
unmarried relations. Well, y- yes, but they we don't see them sleep. Which is, so the code at the time, like the Hayes Code and some of the other laws at the time, were very specific about like what you could and couldn't show. So it was actually a bigger deal that we saw the toilet than it was that we saw them together. Which is because crazy, they right? were fully clothed. Yes, uh, but then also. And we don't really have a ton of time to get into this because we could you could talk about this movie for a whole series of episodes if you wanted to. Oh, of course. Yeah. But uh, Alfred Hitchcock was notoriously not great to Janet Lee on set and frequently was like, no, she has to be naked while filming the shower scene. And it was like a whole thing. <laughs> and she was like, I don't think I do. <laughs> like, We're not going to show that much of it. Uh, and it was like, a, he was not a great guy. He was a very demanding and difficult man to work with at times. But between what they choose to show in the lighting and they choose to show in performances, I think is very, very interesting. I was struck this time by how just how good uh anthony perkins who is playing norman bates is yeah. in this movie he does such a good job he crushes it yeah no that's what i was gonna say like okay so i knew enough just through pop culture and like you know seeing scenes walking through the room or whatever that kind of viewing of it i knew enough to know all about the turn like i knew it was him Dressed as his mom. I knew all of that stuff. Sure, of course. I had never really watched it, though. So, like, watching it with the intent of, like, consuming the movie as a whole, I was blown away by how good he is at being, like, unassuming and sort of like a normal... Almost likable at times. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He does such a good job of being just, like, a charming-ish, maybe kind of awkward, but still, like, unassuming guy cringe but not scary yes. and then he turns and it's yes Ooh, he is creepy yes but he still feels like something's underneath even when he's charming i feel yes. like he has like a weird like yeah there's something off about this guy i can't put my finger on it right you know he's just like one of those people you talk to he's like that guy seems nice but like a little off he's oversharing a bit yeah <laughs> but he crushes it like he is so good in this movie. Yes. And I have seen that last shot of the movie, not where they're pulling the car out, but like the last shot of him kind of zooming yeah. as it, as he sm- like smirks. Where sort he's of. saying nothing and yes. it's just his face. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Dude, like I- I've seen that so many times. I thought it was fine. Having watched the whole movie today, it felt like watching mm-hmm. that scene yeah. again for the first time. Because he, really good. it's so earned, and he just crushes that. Like, it's a simple shot, technically. But what he's doing, I, I could never do. He is such a good actor, man. He's so good. I think for me, it's the scene in the taxidermy room where yeah. it, like, starts out as pleasant conversation, but it just gets so gradually more and more uncomfortable more and more uncomfortable you see her get more cautious and he just gets darker and darker and darker and then comes back and of like oh they, thanks for having dinner with me and you're just like yeah. oh no back to unassuming norman yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is it's this is bad <laughs> yeah i do think okay so through 2023 lenses Sure. I think this movie has some pacing problems. 100%. I think that of almost every 60s movie I've ever seen in my life. And this movie is not nearly as bad as most of those movies. Oh, yeah. It's just the way people have made movies and the way storytelling has changed over the 63 years since this movie came out. Right. It's much more quicker paced and I'm used to that style. But I think Hitchcock nails it with this. Like, yeah. it's really good. I don't get bored. Like, the pacing isn't like, 
oh my God, what's happening? Right. But I get why he was like an acclaimed director of the time. You know? Yeah. Dude can make a movie. Dude can make a movie. And I've seen North by Northwest, which is also him, but it's not horror. I don't think I've seen any other horror movies. Like, I've never seen The Birds or Vertigo. The Rear Window is my favorite one. Rear Window fucking slaps. I think, is that a horror movie? I think I've seen Rear Window. I think a lot of his is technically classified as thriller because it's not monsters, which we should talk about because, like, at the time... There weren't a ton of movies like this. No. That you either had, like, what we would consider as classic horror, like the Universal Monsters and and things like that. Or you had, like, detective movies or noir. Yeah, noir. And this is something in between. Like, this is kind of its own thing. And really... They are his brand of things, and he becomes this, like, master of suspense, but it is what we would call horror movies today. Like, I think think a hereditary owes a lot to this kind of movie where the goal is to make someone tense for the entire time and then pay it off and pay it off in kind of a horrible way. I think true crime also owes a lot to this movie, which we'll talk about as we go, because this is based on the story of Ed Gein, which had happened only three years before this movie came out. So it's like fresh in people's minds. Uh, So it's there's a lot going on here. And I think some of the pacing, too, is there's some stuff they just physically can't do like there, you know, time constraints, but just also filming ability constraints. Oh, there was so much like there's such a huge technological difference between now and then, you know. And I thought it was interesting that they chose in those things they couldn't show to do voiceover instead because yeah. then it becomes like her inner monologue. And I actually really do like that. I liked it, too. But I I, I sort of think of that like. Jaws was forced to not show the shark because of technological like issues they were having. Right. And I think that that makes it better. So I, I think a good director will work within the limitations and find a way to improve what he's doing. And I think Hitchcock did it here. I also think it's interesting that there's no like main character except Bates because like right. you, you have, you have in each kind of the three acts, you have different sets of like protagonists that you're rooting for. Right. And that seemed unique. Like I haven't watched a ton of movies that do that. I think one of the only ones that I can think of that has done that is Barbarian. Oh yeah. yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And scream with Drew Barrymore a little bit, but like you have a cold open, but if the cold open goes long, it's almost like a full act. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, it is a full act. She dies at like yeah. minute 48 or something. Like it's pretty far yes. into the movie well scream is directly referencing this movie the reason drew barrymore dies first in scream yeah is because janet lee died in this movie unexpectedly that was the flip is that like janet lee was a huge star jamie lee curtis's mom huge star wait what bro do you, you know, didn't that? know that that's the whole what? reason jamie lee curtis is in halloween are you serious dude that's the lee and jamie lee curtis is janet lee it's, it's her mom Holy her mom shit. was a scream queen she's a scream queen that's the whole reason everyone loves it it's like a whole thing i i love this that's amazing i can't believe i'm telling you this for the first time i can't believe no one's told me everyone in my life is on notice for not telling me this everyone i'm so mad that's amazing okay sorry yeah sorry anyway, jamie lee curtis's mom Huge star at the time, at least relative to most other people in this movie. She's on the poster. She's they're marketing the hell out of the fact that she's in this movie and people are going to go see it because she's in it. And then they kill her off at the end of the first act. And everyone in the movie was like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) Because no one had done that. And 
there was a big thing of like you were not supposed to talk about the movie after you saw it so this is one of the first movies that has like an active spoiler that people didn't spoil most people did not spoil it dude that's so that would never ever happen today mikey how many times have you been scrolling through twitter and had a movie spoiled for you or a book spoiled for you i wish that my twitter stuff was that bad like now it's like you scroll through twitter i had to i had to tweet about this the other day I'm scrolling through Twitter and it just shows a guy getting shot in the head and bleeding out. Jesus Christ. And it, it, it an account I don't follow. So wait, was it an account you didn't follow that showed that? Don't follow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because Twitter just shows you whatever the fuck it wants now. God, Elon is destroying that platform. It's amazing. And I was like, I don't know. I'm not like a sensitive dude like that. But I was like, I did not want to see someone die on my Twitter feed today. And that's the second time I have seen a video of a death Ugh. scrolling through my Twitter feed. Well, now, like, now I don't open it as much because it's like I don't want to see that stuff. I wouldn't either. Yeah, because I don't, I don't <laughs> know what I'm walking into. But I would say the closest spoiler-wise that we have to something like this modern day is Barbarian. Yeah. Because I don't know if either of you or X X was kind of the same way too. Where like it hit a bunch of festivals, and then everyone at the festival would say things like, I'm not going to tell you anything, you just have to go see it. And so, like, I had three or four people tell me that about X. I had three or four people tell me that about Barbarian. But Barbarian, people, like, actively refused to tell me anything about the movie. They were like, you just yeah, go see it. I'm not going to tell you anything. Just go see it. And so Jake and I went to the theater blind. We didn't watch trailers, nothing. We just went to the theater and it was such a great, crazy experience because it was like, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, because no one could have predicted that anything in that movie was going to happen. But that but you watching it like that has to be the closest thing to yes. people contemporarily in 1960 seeing this movie. Right. Right. Because yeah. it is such a weird like, holy shit. Like, wait what he's just dead or she's in that movie she's just dead like what happened yeah yeah well and like justin long's in this but where's he been for 40 minutes right like, right right well, i thought who is this <laughs> is the guy who played pennywise evil or not <laughs> like i don't know <laughs> he wasn't spoiler alert spoiler he wasn't he's just a great dude who gets murdered in that movie <laughs> he's just a good dude who should have believed a woman when she said there was something in the basement. Well, yeah. Or is there? I mean, there there definitely was. Anyway, we, we, not to spoil all of Barbarian for you, but yeah. You guys are getting off track here. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, I, I think Hitchcock did a great job with this movie. I, even the, like, clearly more dangerous than Norman Bates police officer who fucking stalks a pretty lady for as long as yeah. he is jurisdictionally allowed for hours on the road too it's crazy i was more scared of him than anybody else in the movie he is scary i'll, I'll talk maybe i'll talk about this when we get there this also predates most freeways yeah yeah of course it does which is something that like because the drive she goes on today is like 10 hours max max and that's if she well, yeah like, because you have the interstate yeah yeah <laughs> so like her first one from like because she ends up like phoenix to la is six hours and then she ends up almost to san francisco so like phoenix to la and then maybe another three four hours to get all like spitting distance of san francisco uh and it takes her like two days <laughs> yeah the interstate was one of the best things we stole from the nazis oh truth that and warner von braun am i right space program and going to the moon yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> we have hit on all these topics before <laughs> in this podcast. We will go to fresh topics today. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just yeah. want to meet a woman who would rob a bank for me and then travel across the country. I mean, is it so hard to ask? Okay, did she rob a bank or did she just not go to the bank? I didn't see her rob a bank. She just was handed. Uh, she took the money. Oh, yeah. She was handed the equivalent. I looked it up. She was handed the equivalent of $415,000 by her boss, who is an idiot, yes. to ever give anybody that much cash and be like, put this in your purse and take it to the bank. Yeah. There are services who pick up that. Well, there are now. That's like an armored car service. There are now. But even when I when I started working retail as a teenager, we used to have to carry deposits on us because we didn't have have pickups yet i'd have been like no yeah. i am not carrying a large <laughs> sum to the bank for you but i also feel like as a manager or a business owner you're like asking for trouble like hey 15 16 year old i've hired for my business take this two thousand dollars to the bank it's four hundred and fifteen thousand dollars he hands her in today's dollars that's how you know that guy was like fucking rich yes that is how we know he was fucking rich yeah because he's like i never give out anything that i'm not afraid to lose do we want to just get into the movie because this is early in the movie yeah yeah yeah, yeah. let's go yes we may as well let's yeah, just yeah, get yeah, into yeah. it because i hate everything about these two guys yeah it is credits and nothing happens over the credits except some great stylized typography from the 60s i love i fucking love it and the amazing score but i know todd is like there's nothing happening, and therefore I'm bored. I was on my phone the majority of the credits, but as I looked mm -hmm. at them, I <laughs> thought they were cool as shit looking, especially for the 60s. Like, the movies that came out at this time, it was like you were sitting down in front of a theater and you were hearing the band warm up. Like, yeah. that was like the movie credits from this time period are like that level boring. These, the score slaps, it's great, and the... Uh, the way the credits are coming in and out was probably revolutionary for 1960, man. Uh, I think it depends on what kind of movie you're seeing in 1960. Uh, but these, they look like, like Mad Men. Like this looks like something Don Draper would have designed. And it's awesome. Yeah. What, what I mean is, I don't think most credits at the time were trying to do anything but and like trying to be in line with the theme of the movie at all. Right. Whereas I think these credits are like very much in line with that because their lines, each line is going the opposite direction because Norman is two people more or less right. uh, in this movie, which I'm sure Mikey will want to talk about the split personality stuff. But yeah, well <laughs> the last 10 minutes of this movie is wild, yes. uh, but it's, it's, splitting the words so it makes it uncomfortable right yes, because things exactly. are coming from left and right uh but also if you think about well i guess on romancing the pod we did this we haven't done much from this era uh, on this on this podcast but a lot of credits were just cards yeah just with like name did this yeah name did this with a logo so the fact that they were a animated is very rare and or at least new and be animated to the score in such a way as to illustrate things about the film, almost unheard of. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. So that is very new, too. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I wasn't alive at this time, so I didn't see every movie that came out, but this feels like it's one of the first movies that did this. And I think most good movies do that now. Yeah. The credits are at least trying to tell part of the story now. My One of my favorite credit sequences is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I, I know, and it is so good. You, you brought it's it up so a few good. times, but it is like one of the better ones, honestly. Yeah, and they kind of did something similar but different for the anime. anime. 
that I thought was really cool too. Anyway, if you haven't had a chance, the Scott Pilgrim anime. Uh, so we open Phoenix, Arizona, Friday, December 11th. We're recording this Sunday, December 3rd. Yeah. So I was like, oh, just a few days from now, 2.43 p.m. And I was like, what happens at 2.33 that you can't just be like, it was like 2.35, guys. Like, calm down. Yeah, 2.43. Because it's true crimey. It's trying to be true crimey. I think it does sort of maybe not invent the genre, but put it on film, you know? This is one of the first fictionalized true crime stories like this, for sure. Yeah, okay. For sure. But there were, because... there were like true crime books and stuff before this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows what the world was like before I was born? Who cares? <laughs> who, who, who has time to, to contemplate? We have to talk about it for this episode. It's so funny that Mikey is confused as to why he has trouble dating with that kind of attitude. I... <laughs> <laughs> Who cares what your life is like when it's not in my orbit? <laughs> but for Norman Bates, it was a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday. Well, it was a Friday, specifically it just said Friday. 43 at 2.43 p.m. At 2.43 p.m. We just went over this, although when I made my anecdote before I said 35, not 45, that's my bad. It's all good. There are true crime books at the time, a little bit, but they're more pulp novel versions, so like... They, they're they kind of scandalous. It, when did uh, In Cold Blood come out? That's the book I was thinking of. I think it was yeah. before this, although I'm not sure. Only barely. I want to say only by a year or two. I'm looking it up right now. Because I feel like that might be relevant. And, uh, and In Cold Blood, it came out in 1959. No, it was first published in 1966. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it came out after this. The de the murders happened in 1959 that are detailed in In Cold Blood. By Truman Capote, obviously. Because I feel like that book is really what jump starts that whole true, like, you know, yes. non-fictional crime books. I don't know. I, but I don't, I'm not a literary expert or an expert really on much. <laughs> I would say that that is one of the first ones. Everyone kind of looks to that as one of the, the originators. Another one that's very famous, although not very accurate, is Helter Skelter, which comes out in the early 70s. That's another one that everyone points to as, as early true crime. Because it's written about actual crimes that are occurring contemporaneously. Contemporaneously? I, that's not how you say it either. I don't know, Paige. Uh, at the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the time. Uh, but yeah, in, in Cold Blood, I would say it's probably one of the first. But it, it had not come out yet. So like to do... Yeah, it was six years after this movie came out. Yeah, to do a movie that references... Arguably, for many of the people seeing this movie, one of the most horrific stories they have heard since the Holocaust. Yeah. And to make it into entertainment is completely foreign. Like, that is new and not necessarily liked. <laughs> and it's, uh, whereas today it would be a Law and Order episode a week later, but like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> at yeah, the time, yeah. <laughs> very rare. Anyway, Phoenix, Arizona. Friday, December 11th, 2.43 p.m., we open on a hotel room where Janet Lee and her boyfriend, we will find out, yeah, Sam. are having a, a very long lunch. Now, it's 2.43. That's an extremely long lunch. That's like a half day. Afternoon delight, you know what I'm saying? In my mind, she left at like 1 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And she took a two-hour lunch because it seems like she's pretty close-ish to work, right? Yeah, 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 walkable. Yeah, walkable or maybe just like a quick drive. Yeah. Uh, and I think she was just trying to be back there by three, which is why she was like, you know, when we pick up in the scene, she's like 
getting dressed after they had just probably had some sweet, sweet amore time. Yeah, 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 but, yeah, yeah. You know, so she's she's like trying to leave and then also trying to talk him into marrying her. And also like we're we're getting I think a lot of great information that like plays into why Sam does what he does when he comes back into the story and all that stuff. Like they they weren't engaged, but they were pretty much engaged at that point in my mind. He loved her, but he's like, you know, I've got an ex and she needs money. Money. And then she's like, I've got a boss and he has excess acid. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is, I think she means heartburn, but okay. <laughs> well, she was talking about, I think, eating later in the day. I don't know. I, I, I have no idea why she mentioned that, but. It's one of the first lines in the movie and it cracks me up every time. I'm just like, excess acid. But yeah, this is because we are uh, dropped in medias res uh, in, in the thick of it. We're having to learn who these people are, why they're here, all of this within this one conversation. And because films at this time had technological limitations, there's a lot of telling as opposed to showing. But this movie, I think more so than a lot of other movies at the time, shows rather than tells really well. It's just that in some of these scenes, they just can't do that. So like this first scene, they use this conversation to give us that information, this argument that they have of like, he's already been married. She took half his shit. So now he works at this store. And he's paying her alimony. He's paying her alimony. Whereas Janet Lee's like, I'm not getting any younger. I'm probably like 24. And people are going to be like, <laughs> why don't you have grandchildren yet? Like it's, <laughs> but she's like, this is not respectable. If, if everyone else, if other people I knew found out specifically her sister, whom she lives with, if she found out, cause that's why they're at a hotel and not at her house. Right. I think she's older than 24. I think she's like 29. Yeah, I think so too. I was, I was joking, the but yes. Well, I mean, yeah, but you're right. The sensib sensibilities of the time were that way. Yes. But I think her boss mentions that he's been, she's been working there for 10 years. 10 years, So I, yes. I could see starting to work after high school and then- 28, you know, I think, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So 28, 30, right around there. Yeah. So this is basically her being like, Look, I like you. I like this relationship, but societally, I cannot continue this relationship the way that it's going. Yeah. It is it could potentially harm my everything, uh if anyone found out. Uh and he's like, "Okay, cool, but I don't got no monies." And she's just like, "Sounds like a you problem." <laughs> but she's about to make it a her problem because yeah. he is leaving to go home in Northern California from Phoenix via plane yeah he was there he's just there on business so like yeah yeah she goes back to her job at a bank where she's a secretary with one of the most annoying other secretaries uh on film i and love her though Paige. yes i love her because she is very self-focused let's just put it that way but i love that she is written in such a way that like even my modern sensibilities of what would be annoying it is, it is it it is timeless oh yeah that hitchcock was like i know who this bitch is and she's just <laughs> like me and my husband are going to the thing did you hear about my husband i'm wearing my wedding ring i think on this weekend <laughs> we're going to have a dinner party and you're just like oh my god shut the fuck up <laughs> i love that like when the client the guy who's buying a house for his 18 year old daughter who's getting married the next day yes and he's like really hitting on uh jamie lee curtis's mom i don't know if you guys know that that's jamie yeah, lee Curtis's Jamie mom Lee in this Curtis's scene. mom. Uh, I heard that recently. It blew my mind. Like that that lady, after that interaction takes place, walks over and goes, 
uh, he was really flirting with you. He must have seen my ring. And I was like, not everything's <laughs> about you, lady whose name I don't know. <laughs> Jesus. Not important. I, I loved it. Every person we've worked with that didn't we didn't like for the last hundred years. Oh, yes. It was amazing. I, I thought she was. But I mean. The actress is just playing a part and crushing it. Like I, I love that for her. She, she is doing great. Yeah. It's like she has two minutes of screen time in this movie, and she makes every bit of it. Yeah. But yeah, as you mentioned, forty thousand dollars for a whole ass house. Yeah, that's four hundred fifteen thousand dollars today. Which Paige, I know, would not buy you a house out there. No, but in Phoenix, you might be able to find a house for four hundred, like a starter house for like four hundred fifteen k. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's about accurate. I think that's a little bit lower than national average right now, honestly. Sure. Yeah. But like close to it. Yeah, and I mean, like we looked at a place for five fifty <laughs> that uh, did not have ceilings tall enough for Jake to stand up in. And uh, had outside pipes inside pipes, and it was uh, up on a weird cement hill. But you know what? You got to start somewhere. <laughs> I got my starter home way below 500. So your results may vary. Yeah, depending on where you at. Well, also, yeah, Nashville and L.A., the cost of a home is very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I honestly bought mine for around the, uh, around the 415 that she walks away with. Right. So, like, you could buy a house somewhere with that. Yeah. I'd, I'd take 40000 at this point. Like, you know. Yeah, like, <laughs> I was like, hey, we're about to have a real nice Christmas. Put a fl- inflation aside. Four hundred and fifteen would be like, we've got to get the fuck out of here. But like, yeah, fuck it, run. <laughs> Forty thousand, I'd be like, you know, that could really help me out. Yeah, bro. Yes, I hated the interaction between the rich dude and her and her boss and her so much that when she like steals the money, I was like, good for her, man. I get it. <laughs> well, that that's another thing with this movie too, because she is not a perfect protagonist. And so this idea that it's like she's kind of a complicated lady making some choices that at the time would be seen as like really bad choices. But also in this in a moment, she decides to steal 40 grand in cash and go on the run, which is like, girl, federal crime. Oh, yeah, sure. But it's actually four hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. Right. Like I understand taking that risk. I don't think I would do that, but. I understand why she would do that. I think the risk is because they're going to come after you like she had to know. But also they definitely are going to come after you. But it's 1960. Yes. And the police are fucking terrible because they don't they don't talk to each other. Yeah, like there's no communication. Right. So she is like, I could take this money, change my fucking name or just get married and legally change my name. And then, yeah, like. It'll be harder for them to find me. Crime seems like it was so much easier back then. Man, it he was. brought a bucket and a mop to a wet ass murder yes. and cleaned it up so much that <laughs> cops didn't even <laughs> notice <laughs> it. Like, I'm not saying the cops were terrible at the time. Technology was so bad at the time. You were just like, yeah, that's blood on the ground, I guess. You wouldn't be like, let's take that DNA. Well, and it's missing the shower curtain. That's that's the thing that other people noticed that the cops didn't notice and the private investigator didn't notice was that the shower curtain was missing. Oh, yeah. Well, I like that. The the big piece of evidence they find is like this says 40,000 minus 700. She has to be here. And you're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, which also I'm like, why did she have a scrap of paper in the bathroom? Like that's the shower curtain missing for me is the like way bigger clue. But well, you also have a true crime podcast page. So like yes. you're more aware yeah, yeah, yeah. of that kind of shit. Yes. <laughs> anyway. So 
she goes and and as she's on her way out to go to the safety deposit box with this four hundred fifteen thousand dollars, she basically is like, "Hey, I'm also not feeling great, uh, so I'm just gonna go home after this. I have cough, cough, a headache." Uh, and <laughs> her boss is like, "Yeah, whatever. Women in their periods." I mean, that's sort of less, more or less, the vibe. And I hate her boss and the rich douche. Who was like trying to buy her love Yeah It's a shame that secretary was married Because he definitely would have hit on her Over he, Jamie he, Lee Curtis's <laughs> mom His mom What's the name of her uh, boyfriend? Sam Sam So I think Sam's in an unfortunate position here Sam Loomis by the way yeah, I know it is, is Loomis Yes It's Dr. Loomis's dad I think <laughs> Sam Loomis's dad here Sam Sam Loomis Sr He's in a rough position We're like <laughs> He's having some nice lunches and he's like, look, we can't get married. I have all of these reasons like this. You know, this is great. But let's just keep going like this. And I really connected because then all of a sudden he's working, living his life, you know, thinking about like taking a moment, thinking about that nice lunch. And then all of a sudden her sister shows up and was like, my sister robbed her employer and stole 40 grand to be with you and was on her way here. And he's gonna be, he's like, oh, so now he's like. <laughs> Forced to investigate her disappearance. <laughs> this you looks know, like, bad for me. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it does sort of look bad for him. Like, okay, Mikey, if that had happened to you, your let's just say out of town sweet amore mistress came to your front door with four hundred and fifteen thousand dollars and said, "Hey, we can run away together." And it's nineteen sixty. Uh huh. Okay. Would you say yes to that? No, let me tell you why. Tell me because, everything. Uh, tell me why. Ain't nothing but a robbed bank. Tell, tell me, me why. why. I ain't no fucking Norman Bates. Tell, tell me, me why. why. Why won't you run away with her? She brought you money. money. I love you so much, Paige. The worst thing that can happen in modern dating is someone solving the problems I made up so I didn't have to commit to them. <laughs> I, I did think about that. Okay. Where, and when we do meet him later, it does seem like he was like, I do care about her. This is a terrible eventuality. Yes. But if she had just showed up there with the money, I, I did wonder if he had been like, oh, yikes. Well, hey, you. My uh, name is Sam oof. Bloomis, and we're moving to since. <laughs> Cincinnati or some shit. No, because like, he didn't ask her to rob a bank. And I'm not I'm not victim blaming, but like if someone showed at my house right now, like, hey, those money problems you said we couldn't commit to, I found four hundred thousand, I'd be like, I'm not going to jail for you. Let me go yes. ahead and answer the question for myself. I also would not go. I think stealing four hundred and fifteen thousand dollars is a red flag relationship wise for me. Yeah. So like I would also be like, oh man, I really loved banging you at hotels during lunch or whatever. But this is not going to continue. I know you're like Jamie Lee Curtis's mom or whatever, but like, <laughs> no. So, but yeah, he's like forced to investigate this murder and put his life on the line. Yes. Because I don't want to say she's a side piece, but I say a lot of his actions may lead her to believe she is a side piece. I truly don't think she's a side piece. I do think Sam wants to marry her. He just wants to be in a better place financially in order to do that. And he's wow, currently talk. like... Spending a lot of you, money. You are not ready for modern dating. Keeping a podcast going or whatever. No, he's like spending a lot of money keeping his store going and keeping his wife in her alimony checks. Yeah. And he wants to be free of that before they get married. That's literally what he says in that first scene is, 
if she gets married, then I'll have enough money to get married because I won't have to pay alimony anymore. But you believe him. You would believe a partner telling you all that. So I do believe him because when she shows up, she being the sister of Jamie Lee Curtis, his mom. It does appear that that is all true. Yes, because he's not in a relationship with anybody else unless. Yes, but he can't even even if he wasn't as emotionally invested, he still has to go with the sister to help solve this or he is a suspect immediately. A hundred percent because he's an accessory if he can't prove that she did it without him telling her. Or they think he stole the money. Yes. I yeah. do think there is an implication that forces him to go and be a part of this like journey or whatever. I also think the sister looks a lot like Jamie Lee Curtis's mom and I like he's got a type. <laughs> so like I thought about that too. I was like, hey sis. <laughs> I also think another reading of this might be his clerk is his boyfriend, and that's why he kicks I him out when having too. the conversation with his with Jamie Lee Curtis's mom's sister. I thought about that as well. Uh, that maybe there were other things afoot, but I'm with Mikey though because I feel like his reaction would have been like, "Oh, what? You're here with money? We got to go to the police right now and turn this in, and hopefully, it's all just a mix 'em up." <laughs> like, yeah. Also, ooh. don't look over there. That's where my ex-wife might walk in any second. <laughs> Air quotes. Come over here, Jane Eyre. Let's go back to the police. <laughs> That's exactly the vibe I got from this relationship, Paige. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> and like, I like how they give her a thing like, I should just go turn the money back in and I'll be a good person. She does. She literally says that she's going to f- drive back to Phoenix and try and make it as right as possible. Because she did spend $700 or whatever buying that car. But right. But no one alive heard that conversation now. That's true. Well, because it's, it's her internal monologue. So some of those conversations may have never even happened. So like we hear... It her internal well when we get to it we hear inter- her internal monologue of like what's going to happen to her but it's her projecting yeah anyway so she literally just like gets in the car and goes and she does see her boss on her way driving out of town i thought that was really funny because they both sort of do a double take they do the very normal thing of like oh hey i recognize you hey how's it going yeah and then he's like wait weren't you sick like he looks back over his shoulder and she's like Fuck, I'm stealing all of his money. Yes. I have to get out of town as soon as possible. I also feel like I felt like her boss was being dragged around by the guy whose money it was where he was just like, come on, we're going for drinks. And her boss is like, all right. okay." As (laughs) someone who is forced to do that kind of thing at conferences, I understand his boss's like demeanor in that. Yeah. Yes. Because you're like, oh, yeah, it would be great to go get drinks after this mandatory fun steak dinner we just had with these clients we're trying to woo. Yeah. I would just be like, man, I don't feel good. I had oysters earlier. Oysters. Nope. He said it right. Oysters. (laughs) Oysters. Werewolf. No. It's like the only thing you say like you're hella from Boston. Oysters. Not even. Oysters would be Boston. Oyster. Like moisture is just strange. No one says it that way. Is that true? Mike, are you, are you the only one that say oyster? Oyster. Oyster. Oyster? I don't know. Either way, I should, you're right, Mikey, be like, hey, I'd love to go out with you guys after this, but I really got a shit. So I'm going to go back to my hotel room. You get a doctor's note that says, okay, this, this, all right, I'm going to throw some strategies out for you now, okay, for your new job. Let me just take some notes. Get a doctor's note, have him sign it, says you have IBS. Then you can just get out of anything you want after hours. Oh, nice. Nice. 
but you got to run to the bathroom like you're not going to make it. <laughs> That's how you have to leave the interactions. I yeah. do that already, Paige. You do eat a lot of Taco Bell. <laughs> or just go all in and be like, I have to wear, you know, like an alarm system on my colon to like notify myself. I don't even know if this technology exists. I'm but 100% I would love- sure ass colon alarms don't exist. <laughs> would you buy an Apple Watch that counts down to when the exact moment you have to take a shit? Yes. I would. Absolutely. I try to plan everything in my life. You don't think I want to plan my twos? Where where is technology? What are we doing? I mean, uh, like I I not every shit is a surprise to me, but the ones that are that would be nice. Oh, no, they're rarely a surprise. I know I ate Taco Bell. What you like get an alert? It's like bing 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 5 minutes. Like we we have an emergency one. <laughs> you have 10 minutes. Yeah. That'd be great. That would be nice. Yeah, if that technology existed, I would. But what would that require of me as far as hardware in my body? Um they have some with tails now. Nice. Um, <laughs> I just want to put nanites into my body to tell me when I'm going to poop and also clear my sinuses off whenever I'm stopped up. Your barrier for what feature you'd have to have in order to put machines inside your bloodstream is way too low. Yeah. Is it? And also cure cancer. There you go. There you go. There you go. And keep me alive as long as I want to be kept alive. And like those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm going to need it to be like that bad Vin Diesel movie that nobody saw uh, where it gives me super strength or they can attach, like, robot arms onto me and shit. I mean, I would take a robot. (laughs) Is that a movie? Yeah. Did you guys not see, is it Bloodshot? No. You watched Bloodshot with Vin Diesel? Yeah, I've watched Bloodshot with Vin Diesel and this is basically the plot. (laughs) Okay, I can't believe you watched that film. Well, the guy from Outland in it but anyway go ahead and then also like when i was a small child i had some of the collectible cards from that comic series that that movie is based off of from the it was it like valent or whatever the yeah. company was yeah yeah <laughs> anyway jamie lee curtis's mom pulls over to sleep on the side of the road and a cop comes upon her because she has slept the whole night on the side of the road and this cop we don't get his internal monologue but he 1000 percent is like oh she's very attractive i'm gonna follow her and be the creepiest creep that ever did creep until she leaves my jurisdiction and i have no more power over her now she does act super suspicious yes <laughs> yes like i think this lady murdered someone and uh yeah once she asks did i do anything illegal and he's like no i would have just gone away i would have driven away but todd people didn't talk to the cops like that back no, then I like know. modern day i would have been like you're gonna need a fucking warrant yes <laughs> but like back in the day they did not so that was suspicious and technically he wouldn't need a warrant to search her car yeah but he would to do the trunk right because right because jg taught me some some legal stuff jay-z well this could be before those court cases he might not have needed a warrant back then they might not have considered cars your personal home or whatever at that point or whatever she was sleeping in it it is her personal home at this point yes she acts very suspicious and he acts very cop so like those are not two good things to go together yeah yeah sadly that you could say he does act like a cop here because cops be doing this shit sometimes cops be following yeah Uh, but she does yeah because she says have i done anything wrong and he says i don't know have you because the idea that like you asking would be like like it seems like you're thinking about 
what it would be like to do something wrong. So I don't know. Have you? So in my mind, I thought she was more or less just asking, like, was sleeping here illegal? Because that's all I've fucking done, you pig. Let me go. (laughs) I mean, yes. But I think in my internal monologue for him was... It's unlikely and strange to find someone sleeping on the side of the road here because it is not safe. It is very deserted on that road. So why is she here? Especially a woman on her own at this time. Yeah. So like there's a lot of pieces here that I'm like, something's not right. It's not the fact that someone's sleeping in the car. It's the context of the situation that makes it. It's the context of the situation and where she is and who she is that he's like, I, I think for him, he's like, a woman would not be sleeping in her car on the side of a, and here's the thing, the interstate in that part of like the drive, even now is desolate. So like pre interstate, this is literally like an abandoned road almost. And she's alone. And so I think in his mind, he's like, this doesn't happen when things are going good. So what's happening? You know? Well, and yeah. then, so like modern day, let's say you get like a police call. That's like, Hey, you know, there's a person sleeping in their car. If you go up to the car and like that person is unhoused and living in their car, generally those kind of cars look a certain type of way, right? Or the person's like, hey, I'm, you know, the, the person brings that context of I'm kind of staying in my car. Okay, well, this is private property. Can you move your car? Blah, blah, blah. But also a lot of calls were are like people who were like DUIing and then like slept in their car, like in the, like in the bar. Or park. escaping a domestic situation uh, yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. yes. It's just, it's just, it, you know, and but like suspicion is not illegal and stuff like, but it's gonna make somebody ask more questions. Now he's also a dick as well. Yeah, because he just follow her for hours. Yeah, he does like what a murderer would do. He stalks her yeah. for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because he lets her go. She keeps driving, and he take he drives behind her. Now again, there's nothing on that road, and so like he doesn't really have a lot of places to leave or whatever. But he is also like I think initially we're supposed to believe like it's in her head. She thinks he's following her, but this is her paranoia about what has happened so far. Yes, because her first thing is the car dealer dealer. I got to switch the car, but he pulls up literally across the street because he's still following her. Yeah. He, like, gets out of his car and sits back on it, like, leans back on it so she can better see the fact that he, as the person who pulled her over before, not pulled her over, but stopped her before, like, is still following her. It is so creepy behavior, which I think is why Hitchcock does it. Like, it does amp up the, oh, my God, like, what is happening? Is this guy going to murder her? But also, he's let's say he just drives through town and sees that the person he stopped who was acting weird is now trading her car in. Yeah, that's super suspicious. Sure. Also not illegal. Well, it is if it's in the commission of a felony, which this technically is. Well, yeah, but he has no evidence of that. Like, he saw a lady sleeping on the side of the road because she was responsible and didn't want to continue to drive sleepy. He doesn't, but but this kind of behavior starts to become probable cause to ask more questions <laughs> yeah. and search okay. more things. Yeah, if you get a couple of these you can articulate in a judge, you get that warrant pretty quick. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I do agree that if he was going to actually try to do his cop job, here he would have been in more scenes after this 
But once she leaves and gets out of his jurisdiction where he has no more power over her, he no longer gives a shit. Oh, so yeah. So we don't see him anymore. Well, no, because he can't follow her. I know. Like, he physically That's can't. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think he's collecting evidence at this point. Okay. Like, I think this is his cop job. Yeah, he may have done a report or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think he's just like, hey, she seems to be acting erratically and then changed the car she was driving in minutes because apparently this is the one dealership that doesn't hold you hostage for eight hours so like something is up like th this would not normally happen but then at a certain point when she leaves he can't follow because she technically hasn't done anything illegal that he knows of but i think in his mind he's like i don't think i know the whole picture yeah he's like she's definitely done something illegal goodbye don't come to this town the yeah. only thing we know she does or he does after she leaves is question the, the used car salesman and we never see him again so we don't know that he files a report we don't he know never comes back a part of the murder investigation like he was just being a creepy creep except except we know that he talks to the private detective yeah well the private detective probably reached out because that was his job you know mm -hmm. but yeah and so like Here's the thing. If she didn't commit those crimes in his jurisdiction, he can only report. He can't really do much else. But yeah, like, and, it, and also to take it one step further, if he wasn't so much of a creep, the private detective wouldn't be able to track down where she went yeah. to find and stop Norman Bates, like leading to his arrest. <laughs> yeah, in a, in a weird roundabout way. Man, I hate it. I hate I hated that cop so much. He made me so uncomfortable. He is creepy. Yeah. Well, that's the point. He's supposed to make you uncomfortable. No, I know. That's what I said earlier. I agree. Because you are identifying with Jamie Lee's mom, you know, even though she has done wrong, you're nervous for her. You're like, oh, if he if he finds that money, you know. I wasn't nervous that he was going to arrest her ever at all. Oh, see, that's what I'm nervous about. That's not why I was nervous. I No, I was not nervous of that at all. There was no way at this time period that they were going to make the cop the villain. So that was not even a question to me. <laughs> sure. True. I, but I like the scene. I, I, think it, I think Hitchcock does a really good job of like showing her paranoia. I love the scene of her driving off from the used car dealership Me with too. all the guys looking at her. Yeah. Where it's like, because all three were like, that was real weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even before she gets there, when she's like, the cop is like behind her and she's like stalking him in her rear view or pretty much. However, I would look at a cop for the eight of the past 10 years that I've been driving on expired right. tags. Like that's exactly <laughs> how I, I when I saw her doing that, I was like, oh, I do this. I get this. She's very nervous right now. I know what she's feeling. You gotta get tags, bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't like driving around cops in general. Tags or no tags. Yeah, no, same page. But Mikey, I did get my tags renewed uh last year because uh, Tennessee got new plates and so I was sticking out so badly. Yeah. I ended up saving by my calculations about seven hundred dollars not renewing my tags every year. There you go. Insane. There you go. You did it. I got so lucky. I would not recommend that. It was very dumb of me. <laughs> we told you. I know. Many times. Listen, I, and you were right all of those times. Anyway, so she drives off after immediately buying a car with cash, which again, suspicious. And it sounds like it wouldn't be because it's like 700 bucks or whatever. But guys, 700 bucks is like $7,276 today. That's a lot of money yeah, to just be yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, That's not walking around money. Yeah, exactly. Like. I have definitely walked around, not recently, but with $700 in my pocket. You know, I've done that. I've never walked around with $7,300 right. in my pocket, you know? I remember when I was working at the Grove, my boss, like the store manager at the time, her son had gotten mugged 
and he had three thousand dollars on him and we were like what was he doing walking like not to you know it's not right that he got mugged for sure but why would you walk around with three thousand dollars and then we found out very quickly after that it was because he was dealing drugs and the people who mugged him had been his customers (laughs) like there was more to the story (laughs) yeah but yeah anyway she drives away and this is where we get our second set of voiceover scenes that are kind of her inner monologue of like what's happening. She's hearing the voices of other people figuring out that she's gone, figuring out that the money is gone, trying to contact her sister, yeah. her sister con- trying to contact her. And this is all playing out in her head, which, by the way, would take longer than she has been on the road. Like by the time her sister comes into the picture, that's more in line with how long that would take because it's almost a week later. But like she's driving out of town and picturing it happening right now. Yeah. Of like they're going to call her. They're going to call these people. News wouldn't travel that fast. But I do think it's her sort of, okay, this is how they can easily catch me. Right. Right. Because at this point she doesn't know she's going to die. In fact, never does. And then like she's just trying to be like, okay, here's the most logical way they're going to find me. And I think that's like a normal thing that you would think of. If you were doing criminal shit, like a hundred, so you could like get ahead of it or whatever. It's like playing that like chess with the law or whatever. Yeah. But we pull up to in um, the middle of a dark rainy night, the Bates motel. And it seems like no one is there, but there's a light on in the house on the hill, which looks like a full ass haunted house. It does. <laughs> I wonder if it, if that looks like a haunted house, quote unquote, because of this movie though, you know, like, this is such an iconic house yeah. from this movie. Yeah. And I wonder if people have borrowed from this over like other media that has made us feel like, oh, those houses are spooky, you know? Yeah, maybe. So she honks, he comes down and as she's checking in, she gives him a fake name and address, which will be important later on, or at least a fake town. Well, yeah. When he brings out, he being the PI brings out like, a sample of her handwriting i was like damn this bi is on it like he has everything locked up but also later in this very evening that we're that we're about to start in the movie norman knows what she wrote down because he'll check and check it against what she says that she actually is because she gives norman in conversation her real name yeah and location yeah so that i i think lets him know that she doesn't want to be found So no one's going to miss her, I think, is his calculation. I think you're right. Anyway, so he's getting the room set up and he's like, hey, are you hungry? She's like, yes. And he's like, "There's well, there's a diner up the road 10 miles to Fairview, which is where her boyfriend is. So not that far away. Yeah. But she's like, it's night. It's the stormy. I'm not going to drive it. And he's like, well, come have dinner with me. And he leaves, goes to the house. And then we hear his mother's voice as Janet Lee is unpacking. Yeah. His mother's voice saying like, no, no hussies in the house. Uh, And he's like, oh, well, okay," And just brings her a sandwich instead that they will eat in the parlor. Moms. I hate when I get told that. When you get told what? what? No hussies in the house. (laughs) No hussies in this house. There's hussies in this house. Mikey, you own that place. You get to decide the level of hussy you want in your house, I guess. That is true. Level 10, please. On a scale of how many? Was, was that like a derogatory term back then, too? Hussy? Hussy's th- always yeah. a derogatory term. Okay. 
I didn't know. Whole hero. Well, no, I mean, I know it is now. I just didn't know if that word has evolved over time, like some words we grew up saying that were cool and they are totally not cool to say. No, this was always bad. Yeah, man, that shirt's so hussy. (laughs) (laughs) That shirt's so hussy. I think I want to have its baby. So anyway, he brings sandwiches and they eat it in the parlor. The parlor, which is full of taxidermy, because we will find out that that is Norman's hobby yes stuffing things am i right getting stuff stuffed uh i also love taxidermy so like i know that this was meant to be a huge red flag in this scene of like oh god dead stuff everywhere yeah but i'd be like oh shit that crow looks like it's about to fly cool (laughs) (laughs) i mean he is good at taxidermy not as good as the dude from Brotherhood of the Wolf, but he is pretty good. I mean, like, none of these crows look like they could be in a Judas Priest video, but they look great. Yeah, they could use some eye patches or maybe some stripes. The biggest red flag for me in this scene was when he said a boy's best friend is his mother. Ooh. Yeah, that's a little too far. That was the biggest red flag. Taxidermy seems sort of, it's a weird hobby I get, but it's, it doesn't seem like I'm going to kill you weird. It's an awesome hobby, an art form even. Let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't think it's a I'm going to kill you later weird. Taxidermy is like podcasting. You're not bringing it up in a conversation. No, I agree. I agree. It's weird to bring it up. I mean, I feel like it depends on where you at. Right? Like, if you're at a party with other spooky bitches, you definitely bring up taxidermy. Oh, for sure. But a stranger for lunch? Or, like, let's even say a dinner date. Absolutely not. A stranger for lunch, I'm like, I work in tech. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I plan to say that kind of shit even if we do go full-time at some point. A hundred. Just to avoid the conversation. If I'm dating someone, they don't know I do podcasting unless it is forcibly brought up, like, yes. hey, what are you doing right now? Why can't you do this thing? And I'd be like, I'm recording a podcast. Yeah. So I have recently had, not with someone I'm dating, obviously, because Natalie and I've been together for like five years and she knows, but like people at work are slowly starting to find out because I just started a new job a few months ago. Yeah. And so I'll get Slack messages from people like, yo, why didn't you tell me you're like a podcaster? And I was like, and I literally responded, I was like, because everyone's a podcaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just like left it at that. Well, that's, I, I don't tell people I'm a comedian most of the time because it's too many questions. And I forgot to like tell my sister that once. And we were out in public and someone was like, hey, what are you guys doing in town? Because we were like another place that wasn't Los Angeles. And my sister was like, oh, she's a stand up comedian. And I was like, no, but it was too late because then we got trapped in that store for like an hour with that one girl asking me too many questions. But like, yeah, I just don't tell talk to people about it. same reason. I don't tell people I'm a super genius. Yeah. Why would you? Yeah. Honestly, that would be the most believable thing you had said. I'd be like, I can't tell you right now. But I'm a super genius. I can move things with my mind. Okay, super genius and telekinetic are two different things, right? Okay, but like how different? Though? There's some overlap. Yeah. Okay. Do we need to get into it on this episode, though? <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we don't. No, we don't need to. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I do want to see a poll on the Facebook group. Who thinks Mikey is a super genius or just has the confidence of someone who thinks they are? Oh, definitely the latter. No. Yeah. This is Mikey from Harvard, and I practiced this ad for Factor in my car today. (laughs) Can you show us what you practiced? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Mikey from Harm Virgin here to <laughs> talk about Factor. <laughs> Nailed it. I have used Factor on and off the last couple of years, uh, especially since 2020. My work is very busy. I have a very busy day job. He does. I have a very busy hobby uh-huh. slash second job called podcasting. <laughs> yeah, it's so much work for you. <laughs> Eating healthy is hard. Cooking, I'm single. <laughs> Cooking single is hard. And I've loved Factor. Other people, they ship you ingredients. You have to cook them. It takes a long time. Factor. They ship you fresh, never frozen meals. And it always only takes two minutes, which is like my favorite thing. I never have to think about how long it has to go in the microwave. It's two minutes. That's what my dating profile says. Always two minutes. <laughs> it's helped me eat healthier, though. They have a bunch of like dietary options, like low calorie or protein or keto. Is it keto? Keto? Mikey, you said it wrong so many times. I'm not sure if I remember how to say it right. It's keto, right? Keto. No, it's keto. It's keto. But anyway, Factor's amazing. So just head to factormeals.com slash horrorvirgin50 and use code horrorvirgin50 to get how much percentage off, Mikey? Were you paying attention? 50. Damn. 50% off. Literally half off. That's code horrorvirgin50 at factormeals.com slash horrorvirgin50. To get 50% off. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. But let's talk about a boy's best friend as his mother. Troubling. Well, it's an Ed Gein special. Uh, it's it's part of Ed Gein's case where he had some obsessions around his mother and ha- had some of her body parts uh, that he would had taxidermied and would wear. Oof. So they're definitely they, they're very much pulling from that case for this film. Sure. Uh, and I won't go too in depth into it. I would actually recommend the last podcast on the left episodes on Ed Gein. I was going to say that's where I heard everything I know about Ed Gein. I would say out, outside of uh, like maybe Harold Schechter, Marcus Parks might be the foremost research authority on Ed Gein at this point. Anyway. So yes, that is taken directly from Ed Gein. It's very troubling. I, th- I very mean, troubling. I, if I overheard my friends say that I would be like, Mikey, don't say that again. I mean, I know you love your mom. I love my mom. But I would be like, don't say that in public. Well, you should say that, but directly into the ear of a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Don't whisper that to anybody. Their head will explode. I think a really good barometer of how the weirdness of a person or how troubling that person may be is a measure of their insight and and how they view optics of things they say and do. Yes. Uh, And an insight of how things like... Uh, I would never say that because I'm aware of how weird that would be. Yeah. And yes. Uh, yes. some people do not have that insight, such as this person, which I think is a red flag that there could be some more stuff going on. But like some people, you know, have a real problem with that, with the social skills. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it's usually a sign of something very like innocuous, but like innocuous, innocuous. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then, uh, but like, yeah, it's a, uh, if someone has no insight, that's a that's a 
pretty red flag that I probably won't be close friends with them. We met one at the wedding we went to two days ago uh, where she had just broken up with her, uh, the father of her kids and told every single person she met about it. She was just like, yeah, I dumped him because like, fuck that guy. And like, I can't wait to get away from him. And you're just like, girl, we just met you. I complimented your cape. And now I know your whole life story. And I am concerned for you. (laughs) Like, it was a lot. (laughs) Now, Todd, that would go back to suspicious behavior. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So can I, can I, I had a similar experience at a wedding where I complimented someone's cape and they said, it's a capelet. And I was like, oh, well, fuck <laughs> me, I guess. I'm sorry. I didn't know what the difference between a cape and a cape was. It's the length of the cape. I figured, yes, I figured it was that page. I'm just saying, it's like, take the compliment. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know. Whatever, whatever. It's fine. Elizabeth. They, <laughs> they might have been trying to be cute with it. You know how like when somebody's like, I love your dress, and you say, it has pockets. That's technically not an answer or a response to a compliment. It's just more facts about the dress. So it might have been like, it's a capelet. Let me do my best line reading of uh, the way it was said. Okay, okay. It's a capelet. <laughs> so you decide, okay? okay? I literally <laughs> left that interaction thinking... Well, fuck me, I guess. I'm sorry. I don't like <laughs> Sorry, I don't know all the capelets. I know. I'm sorry that you were dressed like a tiny Batman for a second. Whatever. Sorry your parents died in that alley <laughs> after that theater show. <laughs> I'm sorry that your arch nemesis is an evil clown. I would have been like, what about me says to you I should know what a capelet is? Oh, I just like, I didn't really know them that well. So I was just like, okay. I don't know. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes I go too hard in response to something like that. Yeah, no, Mikey, that that is hard, but the harder version is, oh, so you could only afford half of one? <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame you couldn't get a full-ass cape. Oh, yeah. They pricey these days? Uh, <laughs> they call it capeflation. We gotta move on. Capeflation. Anyway, a boy's best friend is his mother. Uh, but she basically, he says that his mother's ill, and she's like, have you thought about, like, putting her someplace and he's like oh like an asylum and just like unhinged like no not like an asylum like a rest home like Like, a rest home yeah i didn't suggest that she's crazy like i feel like this is one of the jumps in his thinking that like is a very big clue that something's going on with him that is like scary well and it's it's him very directly and very obviously talking about him and not his mother Oh, for sure yes but yes. they are and as far as this movie is concerned they are both in there right yes so like i understand i understand this acting choice now mikey i know you don't love the split personality thing but i don't i don't love that i do think as an acting choice it's it's brilliant yes. even though you know i would say i i will be much more forgiving in this film yes because one there hasn't been a lot of these huge cases that came out later as hoax and there hasn't been much research on it. Sure. And it's all very new. It didn't become a stupid cliche that is be- that it has become in horror movies. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of this in horror movies. So I get why you don't necessarily like it that much. I'm like, oh, my God, he's the killer himself. What a surprise. <laughs> but I do think in Psycho it was. I do think in this movie it was a surprise. This was a surprise to people. Yeah. No, I mean, it was the OG. I have to give it more leeway. I would give a movie like that. You know what I mean? Oh, I definitely think you, you do. But I also think, like, okay, we're living inside the movie's world. And in the movie's world, it does exist. So, like, 
I think Anthony Perkins' choice to act it this way is spot on. Like, I think he crushes it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you can tell by how the psychiatrist talks that, like, you know, we've changed a bit. Detective Shrank from West Side Story literally a year <laughs> later. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, is that Krepke? And then I, then I looked it up because I was you like. You looked it up? Okay. Yeah. Because I was like, I recognize his voice, actually. It wasn't even the way he looked. Yeah. It was his voice. But yeah, he's Detective Shrank, not Krupke. Yes. I do like. Because in this moment, he like on a hair trigger gets very intense. Yes. And then pulls it back and just says, we all go a little mad sometimes. And you're just like, Ugh. which is, I think, my favorite line of the movie. Chilling. But it is chilling. Yes, Paige. Yeah. But she immediately is like, I'm going to go to bed and definitely lock that door. <laughs> like goes and she starts getting ready we hear her turn the shower on we hear her start to unpack and he checks the book to realize that she has given him a fake name yeah and then steps back into the parlor where the lighting has drastically changed and it changes everything about him and yeah. the vibe and feeling Sinister. oh it's so good and it's literally just the change of the key light and it does so much work of just like now there's no doubt in your mind you're like he is bad news yeah like i was worried about him in the last scene it seems like he's not well and now they have visually told us like danger yes this is not good yeah and he is he is peeping on her he's got like a little peephole behind like a picture and he's watching her Kind of walk around the room I mean he's watching her undress to get in the shower Like she yes. takes her clothes off more or less I mean she's back into her bra again more or less Right And then puts on a robe And then she does a few things about the room Before she gets right. in the shower But that gives him time to go up and Well have the conversation with his mom That he ha that we overhear and then come back down Yeah well because he We don't hear a second conversation But we do see him go back up to the house Oh that's right that conversation overhearing yeah. Happened before because mm -hmm. she comments on it You're right Before and then there's one one after so yeah. he goes back up to the house and he tears up her check for the room because it's evidence of that well not yet but it's gonna be evidence right it's about to be evidence so but th this is one of those things where it's like yeah it's him and the mother air quotes but this is also premeditated yeah something bad's gonna happen and they argue that this is the mother doing this but I mean, it's clearly not the mother doing this. Like it's, it's clearly it's not clearly him. We see that at the end. Like that's the reveal. No, no, no. But I mean, like even within their theory at this point, he has not dressed up into mother. He is not affecting her voice. Norman tears the check up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I 100% agree. I don't know if he has to put on the wig and dress. To be in the full mother character, to or be if mother, that's just how we don't know, that, or if that's just how he likes to kill people, and if he can just switch states while not changing, right? I don't know, but I, I yeah, I don't know, but it, it is interesting, and I do think that I, I don't know if you live inside the world that this movie takes place in, they are split personalities, but I I think more often than not, it is someone going in and out of. Um, what do they call that? Disassociative states. Fugue states. Yeah, dissociative states. Yeah. I would also say Ed Gein did not necessarily have, didn't really have split personalities so much as he uh, had some difficulties emotionally connecting uh, and a lot of things. Again, go listen to the last podcast on the left episodes about it. I feel like you really just minimized that there. Ed Gein, you know, some difficulties emotionally connecting to people. Mikey, we could talk about Ed, like, last podcast on the left has done, like, six hours. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard time. I know. Yeah. 
We can't get into it right now. We can't talk about the nipple belt right now and the the skin lamp or whatever. I can't wait till Paige summarizes Hitler a career uh, and just be like, yeah, he was not a great painter. And it, he like, killed a fuckload of people. What do you want me to tell you? <laughs> also, shitty paintings. <laughs> I know, right? Anyway. So we then get the infamous shower scene. Everyone has seen this scene. Yes. You've got the strings, which are very, very famous as a stinger. It's almost like you get a sound jump scare before a visual one. Mm -hmm. You don't see her get stabbed. It is everything but because, again, they were limited in what they could show. But even within that, it is very clear what happens. And it makes for a very effective, I would say, scene because in that moment, if you're in her shoes, it you're just seeing snippets of like, oh, God, he's got a knife. What's happening? And it's chaos. I, which I like. I sort yeah. of dug the way this scene happens because obviously the censors would allow a lot that they do now. Right. Right. So you can't show the stabbing. You can't show nudity, that kind of stuff. But like when you said you see everything but you really do, Paige, like you see everything yeah. but what would be classically like nudity, like, you know. Right. Any private parts. Mm-hmm. You don't see any of that. But you do see like naked belly, shoulder, like and and you see the knife coming at her in those scenes, but nothing really anything other than that. Yeah. And I would say if you've never seen this movie before, at this point in the movie, you're like, Norman's weird. I'm a little concerned, but the way he's talked about his mother makes me more concerned about the mother Yeah, because we've heard her voice. So if you've never seen this movie, you're like, oh shit, the mother is killing people. That's your first thought. I mean, it looks like the mom. Yeah. They did a good job. It does. And it is very much like you can see the way Anthony Perkins is playing it. Like he's just a very unassuming guy who has been abused by this terrible mother. Yes. So he's a little weird. He's a little like maybe a short fuse, but like is very much a victim. You know, he's playing it like he's a victim of this overbearing mother and it's really just him the whole time (laughs) yeah yeah it's great and as evidenced by the fact that he comes back down to the motel to check and screams his very famous line mother blood yeah blood and you're like and then thus begins essentially act two so if we're thinking about this like barbarian this is the justin long section yeah where we are now following because janet lee is dead we are following someone disposing of a body and cleaning a crime scene and we spend a good 20 minutes with just norman with no dialogue no dialogue i thought this was a super interesting choice honestly yeah because we watch him Wrap the body, yep. dispose of it, carry it out to the trunk, which if you go on the universal uh, backlot tram ride, that's the scene that they have actors acting out as him carrying the body of the trunk. Oh. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, we see him dispose of the car in a swamp that seems to exist in the middle of the desert. That's kind of fun. I think that's very funny. I also really liked how it sank almost all the way down, but not quite. And then we get a reaction shot of him like, oh, no. And then it starts to like sink all the way down. And he's like, oh, good. Like, uh, <laughs> nice. I don't know. It's like. How can we make this sinking take longer? Yeah. And that's what they chose to do. And I thought that was hilarious. For a second, I was like, maybe it's a tar pit. <laughs> I was like, Mikey, <laughs> do you think it's a tar pit? That's what I thought. I was like, this is exactly why I wanted to go see them. If it was a tar pit, Mikey would be there hitting on single mothers. Yes. Which did happen while we were at the La Brea tar pits. It did. That did happen. Anyway, he disposes of the body, disposes of the car. And I know I'm like breezing past it, but it is. 20 minutes of no dialogue of him just slowly and methodically disposing of a body. Clearly he has done it before. Yes. This is definitely not his first murder rodeo. Right. And it's it. These scenes tell us so much 
without saying a word, which is so good. That's why I thought it was super interesting because it is pushing the story forward. Right. Yes. Like we are learning more about who is now our main character, right? Because he only right. entered For the this movie like of the 15 film, minutes yes. ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, yes. I thought that that was a super interesting choice because we really do learn a lot about him, even though we never hear him talk during these 20 minutes. Yeah. But we hard cut to like a hardware store. And this is where Janet Lee's sister shows up because Sam works there. And she's like, hey, is Marion here? Because she's been fucking gone. And also she stole a ton of money. And I feel like the only reason she would do that is so that you guys could run away together. So the fact that you're just hanging out at work, little concerning. Where is she? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, exactly. He's like, whoa, who are you talking about? Which day did we have lunch? Oh, geez. <laughs> Mikey, no. Mikey, no. Sam's not like you. Let's see. It was Buffalo Wings that day. <laughs> He's like, close the shop. I've got to get myself out of this murder rap. My favorite is the other woman in the store that we enter in on their conversation. We overhear it. And she says, like, now here's what it doesn't say. It says that it exterminates and it gets rid of all kinds of pests. But it doesn't say if it's painless. And I think even if it's insects, it should be painless. Death should always be painless. And then she just walks away. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> What is this? That woman has other things going on. And when this lady comes in, like, where's my dead sister? I think she was like, I don't want to get wrapped up in this. Yeah. And then just walks out of the scene. I, I don't need to deal with these people. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Anyway, uh, who should follow the sister in but a private investigator who I assume has been following the sister. Um, but he also says that he has checked and we will find out after this scene because the sister's like, I don't know where she is. Sam says he doesn't know where she is. And the private investigator is like, I don't believe either of you, but I'll be in touch. Yeah. And he then goes and checks all of the local hotels. We get like a very quick, like 10 second, not even montage of him checking multiple hotels. And I assume talking to that cop or whatever until he gets to the Bates Motel and he checks the book after like almost badgering Norman because Norman is trying to seem like everything's fine. Yeah. And is like, yeah, look at the book. Yeah, no, nobody's been by here for weeks. I don't know. Like, I'm just a, I'm just a little boy. I mean, that's sort of his vibe. His mom. Yeah. And he sees her name in the book, sees her handwriting, and then he kind of interrogates Norman a little bit, where he's like, "Did you sleep with her? Did you take the money? Like, where did she go? What happened that day?" And he gets kind of these half answers from Norman, none of which are satisfactory, even though technically what Norman says, housing of a body, clearly he has done it before. Yes. This is definitely not his first murder rodeo. Right. And it's, it, these scenes tell us so much without saying a word, which is so good. That's why I thought it was super interesting because it is pushing the story forward. Right. Yes. Like we are learning more about who is now our main character, right? Because he only right. entered For the movie like of the 15 film. minutes yes. ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, yes. I thought that that was a super interesting choice because we really do learn a lot about him, even though we never hear him talk during these 20 minutes. Yeah. But we hard cut to like a hardware store. And this is where Janet Lee's sister shows up because Sam works there. And she's like. Hey, is Marion here? Because she's been fucking gone and also she stole a ton of money. And I feel like the only reason she would do that is so that you guys could run away together. So the fact that you're just hanging out at work, little concerning. 
Where is she? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, exactly. He's like, whoa, who are you talking about? What day did we have lunch? Oh, geez. <laughs> Mikey, no. Mikey, no. Sam's not like you. Let's see. It was Buffalo Wings that day. <laughs> He's like, close the shop. I've got to get myself out of this murder rap. My favorite is the other woman in the store that we enter in on their conversation. We overhear it. And she says, like, now here's what it doesn't say. It says that it exterminates and it gets rid of all kinds of pests. But it doesn't say if it's painless. And I think even if it's insects, it should be painless. Death should always be painless. And then she just walks away. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> What is this? That woman has other things going on. And when this lady comes in, like, where's my dead sister? I think she was like, I don't want to get wrapped up in this. Yeah. And then just walks out of the scene. I don't need to deal with these people. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Anyway, uh, who should follow the sister in but a private investigator who I assume has been following the sister. Um, but he also says that he has checked and we will find out after this scene because the sister's like, I don't know where she is. Sam says he doesn't know where she is. And the private investigator is like, I don't believe either of you, but I'll be in touch. Yeah. And he then goes and checks all of the local hotels. We get like a very quick, like 10 second, not even montage of him checking multiple hotels. And I assume talking to that cop or whatever until he gets to the Bates Motel and he checks the book after like almost badgering Norman because Norman is trying to seem like everything's fine. Yeah. And is like, yeah, look at the book. Yeah, no, nobody's been by here for weeks. I don't know. Like, I'm just a, I'm just a little boy. I mean, that's sort of his vibe. His mom. Yeah. And he sees her name in the book, sees her handwriting, and then he kind of interrogates Norman a little bit, where he's like, "Did you sleep with her? Did you take the money? Like, where did she go? What happened that day?" And he gets kind of these half answers from Norman, none of which are satisfactory, even though technically what Norman says happened could have happened. It's a viable theory, <laughs> but... I, and I think the investigator sort of believes him when we hear him uh, call the sister. He's like, well, I think he may be telling me the truth. I just want to interview his mom, who also had a conversation with her, and he may have missed something. Right. You know, I don't think he necessarily reads that Norman is... A murderer. A fucking creep. Yeah. Uh, but we, know, of course, know he is because we saw him murder or we saw him at least clean up the murder, you know? Right. So he tells the sister, I'm going to go back and try and talk to his mom. Yeah. I'll, I'll be back in an hour or less. I'll meet you guys at the store. So he goes back and walks directly into the house. No sooner has he started to walk up the stairs that it, uh, it appears to be mother because it is far away and they do a great job of not showing you mother up close. So you're not 100 percent. And he just gets stabbed in the fucking face yeah. and falls down the stairs. Yeah. Oh, that shot is so funny because he's clearly <laughs> on like a dolly kind of system or whatever. Yes. Yeah. It looks kind of cool, though. It does. I yeah, actually does don't hate cool. the shot. It's just sort of funny. Yeah. It's unintentionally stylized, which is great. Yeah. Which this is why we eventually have to do Rear Window because Rear Window has one of the coolest contra zooms I've ever seen. Oh, cool. uh, and I feel like no one else has done it that effectively since. But it's awesome. Anyway, we cut back to the store and they've been waiting for three hours and they're just like, I feel like something bad happened at that motel. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, now two people have disappeared there. And so Sam is like, I'm going to go check out the motel. He goes and he just looks in the windows like he doesn't actually really talk to Norman. He doesn't walk around, He, you know, and he's like, it was just the old lady. Nobody came to the door. So they at that point decided to go to the sheriff. Now, 
the sheriff has information that could speed this up yeah that the sheriff <laughs> does not give them like until like 20 minutes into this conversation because they're like hey yo we've now had two people disappear at this motel it's a little weird and we just want to talk to the mom because I feel like the mom knows what we need to know. And they talk about this for like 10 minutes. Right. And then the sheriff, after they've mentioned the mom, yeah. like three or four times, is like, oh, you mean the dead mom? And they're like, what? Dead what now? He's got a flair for the dramatic. He's making eye contact with that other woman like, oh, we're about to do a reveal. Yes. Hold on to your butts. That other woman is his wife. They are in his house at night. They're both wearing robes. Yes. This sheriff is like barely doing his job right now because he could be he even says when they were like talking about the mom wanting to question the mom he's like nothing weird's happened out there for 10 years like okay well what happened 10 years ago you jackass like he's just like aggressively withholding information that could be helpful yes well these are strangers i mean sure and I understand why you may not share the weirdness that happened 10 years ago, but you may be like, hey, his mom died 10 years ago. Okay, think about this. We don't know that she's dead. She might be running from these two people who are trying to hurt her. I'm not going to give information unless I feel really sure. We do know that she's dead. You mean from the sheriff's point of view? Yeah. The sheriff knows that he's... The sheriff knows the mom is dead. Yeah. No, no, I'm talking about, talking about these are two strangers looking for an unidentified woman. We yeah, don't but know. The, as, as a sheriff, they have to find the unidentified woman. Like, she's been reported missing. <laughs> Actually, she hasn't been reported missing yet, which is a plot point oh, later. Right, right, right. But, yes. And it's like at night. So, but a lot of people use, like, in a lot of domestic situations, they'll try to, like, use law enforcement to, like, find their partner. Yeah, of course. Led a domestic situation. So, yeah, I could see being sure. like, oh, uh, yeah, okay. Like, let's just sit and listen for a while. But at least, like, telling them that the mom is dead, I guess, would make sense. Yeah, that wouldn't do anything to give away Janet Lee's location. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they tell them that it was a murder-suicide and that she poisoned her husband and then killed herself. We will find out later that that is not the case. Yeah, it was Norman Bates who did all that. Yeah. Yes. Not his mom. Yeah. Uh, we cut to the house where we get some voiceover with the mom where he's like, you're going to have to hide. People are sniffing around. It's not good. We cut to church because this is how little the sheriff is doing his job. They are forced to go to church to talk with him about what is going on. And then he's like, yeah, I guess if you're going to make a report, maybe like come for dinner later. Like he's just so he does not care. Yeah. It is wild. Yeah. And they are not satisfied with that. So Sam and her sister decide that they're going to go to the motel, pretend to be a couple, and search the motel themselves. So they show up. Norman's like, yeah, for sure. I'll check you in. No worries. And of course, they use a fake name. They don't say who it is. But because they don't have any luggage, he does charge them $10 in advance because he thinks they're going to, you know, bone it out. Well, which I understand why that would happen and why he would think that. But I do think that in this scene, Norman is like, I'm going to kill these people. They're clearly here to investigate. I have to kill these people. And, every, and that's why he doesn't care. Well, in every step of the process, Sam is like, no, I need it documented that we're here. Right. I need a receipt. I need to sign your book. So like he is doing all of these things because Sam knows that if there's, if that is there, it's like, Less of a chance that Norman will do something because it's right. much more of a paper trail, right? Right. Um, not that he won't, and clearly he does, but right. 
I think Sam knows that he has to be careful when he's here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so they do search the entire room. This is where they notice the shower curtain's gone and they find a piece of her ledger. Yeah. So at this point, they're like, okay, he definitely is involved somehow. Yeah. But we need to get the information out of him, but we need to go talk to the mom because they still think there's a mom. So Sam is going to distract Norman while the sister goes up and talks to the mom. Yeah. And we cut back and forth between her walking around the house and not seeing anybody and not hearing anybody and him talking to Norman downstairs, gradually growing more and more intense of like basic questions and to a full on interrogation until Norman punches him. Yeah. Knocking him out briefly. He actually hits him with like a, I think like a figurine of some sort. Yeah, maybe one of his animals. I think it might be. Yeah. Because he hits him in the back of the head and then, of course, Sam drops because he's knocked out and he and uh, Norman drops whatever the figurine was. Right. And he runs up to the house. Yeah. Dude, the shot of her, like, I, I think like knowing I'm running out of time from like searching the house, right? Right. And then she's looking out the front door to him running up the steps and we can see it through like the curtain. It's so well shot. Like I love a lot of the camera work in this movie, even though it is like 1960s technology, it's still really well done. It's still really well done and really well set. Yeah, it's awesome. But she goes downstairs thinking that A, she'll escape Norman upstairs, but B, maybe find Mrs. Bates downstairs. Yeah. And she does find what looks to be Mrs. Bates, but she turns it around and it's a skeleton. And no sooner has she done that, that Norman comes after her dressed as his mom with a knife. But super Sam creepy. is there to super creepy. Sam catches him. Yeah. And we cut to the police station where the, I guess, police psychiatrist tells us this entire story of like here's why this <laughs> happened very confident he more or less like says i got it simpletons i'll explain the plot to you if you didn't follow <laughs> right you big fucking idiots but i honestly i honestly sort of love the recap from Detec detective shrank here it's a solid repipe and we cut to a shot on norman with the voiceover of his mother's voice yeah as we pulled back. Yeah, this is what I mentioned earlier. It's so cool. It's such a good shot. And just the the way Anthony is acting is amazing. He's so good it's in this so movie. So good. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the, the movie. movie. So having seen the movie, having talked about the movie, what did you guys think about the 1960s classic Psycho? Oh, I love it. I think I finally appreciate it for what it is in the cultural zeitgeist. Eth yeah, in the ethos. Yeah, I get that. Like watching this through for the, like sort of for the first time. I've seen a lot of scenes before that, but sort of for the first time, I was like this is an amazing 60s movie. I get why it made huge news then and has stayed pervasive in pop culture since then. Like I do think it lays a lot of groundwork that a lot of movies borrow from or pay homage to maybe is a better way of saying it. I do think it like struck a chord in culture and then a lot of stuff sort of spun off from this type of shit and i think that that's awesome and i get it like it's a really good movie i also don't think it's super scary i get why at the time it probably was way more scary right i think 300 episodes deep i'm desensitized to yes that kind of tension yeah um i'm more scared by jump scares at this point you know like those musical stingers which the score in this is amazing but it's not like a jump scare stinger it's just amazing like mood music you know yeah yeah i think on a first viewing i would have found this scary but now that i know 
it, it doesn't hold up for rewatch as well. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Once you know what's going to happen, you're like, ooh. Sure. And I think had I not known going in the twists, like everything about this movie, because it is so pervasive in pop culture, I would have been a little bit more scared of it. Right. But because I knew what was going to happen all the way through it, even though I hadn't seen it played out. Right. It just wasn't as scary. Elevated horror of its day, huh? Elevated horror of its day? Yeah, kind of. I, I mean, the people. I do think the people who use that term now would use that term then and, and, and call it that. I do think it's on that level. I do think the most psycho thing that happens in this movie, though, is that Janet Lee gets in the shower and then turns the water on. Yeah. Like, that made me so mad. I was like, what, you're just going to raw dog that cold to hot scale? Oof. Yeah. Anyway. But, Paige, do you have any fun facts for us? I have a lot. So I, yeah. I, there are a lot of fun facts about this movie. I'm not going to get to all of them, obviously. But these are ones that I picked out that I thought were fun. Well, hit us with those fun facts. Psycho. Cultivated fun facts. Fun facts. <laughs> now, Alfred Hitchcock loved the score so much that after it was completed, he ended up doubling the composer's salary. No shit. I mean, it is great. It, it is great. It actually gave him points on the back end as well, which is wild. Wow. That's... Yeah. He later said wow. that 33% of the effect of Psycho was due to the music. Okay. Now, that that was interesting because originally he had fought with the studios about not having a score at all. Ooh. Yeah. That would have been a choice, too. I wonder how that would have played out. I'd watch this with no music. So he specifically wanted the shower scene not to have music. He, he wanted some music other places, uh. but... During that scene. Now, his wife, who was a prolific screenwriter in her own right and also a, a very good uh, script editor, she said, you should definitely have music. And he asked the composer to choose. So the composer chose ultimately what ended up in that scene. And I think that's a huge part of what makes that scene effective. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And he was willing to admit that he was wrong, which is not common <laughs> of that man. So uh, now... When the cast and crew started on the first day of shooting, they had to raise their right hands and swear not to divulge one word of the story. But also, he withheld the ending script pages from anyone not in that scene, as well as any crew that was not required to shoot it. No one knew how the movie ended until they shot the end of that movie, and then they were sworn to silence. I love that. I wish Scream could do that. I mean... You know, it's much there's a, a lot. It's much harder to now. It is a lot harder to now. It is way harder to do that kind of shit now. You're right. I feel like the only people who manage to keep secrets like that is Marvel. And it's just because they NDA people to within an inch of their lives. Yeah. To the point where like people don't even get to say if they're in something until like a trailer comes out. <laughs> so after the movie came out, a lot of people wrote crazy letters, angry letters to theaters, to Hitchcock, to whatever. Because this was a scandalous movie at the time. Oh, yeah. And one of the letters that Alfred Hitchcock received was from the father of a girl who allegedly refused to take baths after seeing Diabolique in 1955 uh, and now refused to take showers uh, after seeing this movie. At which point I'm like, why are you taking your kid to these movies? Uh -huh. I know. Like, I get maybe that happening one time, guy. Right. Right. But two times. This is on you at this point. Yeah. Alfred Hitchcock replied with a note simply saying, send her to the dry cleaners. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Now, Alfred Hitchcock bought the rights to 
the novel. Uh, so it's this is the novel about Ed Gein, um, written by Robert Block okay. for about $9,000. And then he purchased as many copies of the novel as he physically could to keep the ending a secret. What? Okay. Yep. You said it was $9,000? $9,000. So that would be like $93,500 today. Yeah. Which is low, by the way, for the rights of something. Oh, yeah. That seems very low. Yeah. But also, I wonder if it's because this genre didn't really exist back then. Yeah. Now, in the opening scene, Janet Lee's character is wearing a white bra and white slip before wearing an all-white dress, complete with a white handbag. Uh, that's a specific wardrobe choice to establish her as a good person, even though... She has stolen money, etc. But once she starts packing her belongings, she then transitions into a black bra and slip and a darker outfit and changes the white handbag to black, basically changing from good to evil. Now, Anthony Perkins and Janet Lee both basically were typecast after this movie uh, because it was so prolific. But they've both said in interviews that that's fine with them because this is a classic and they'd rather be remembered forever for this classic movie than not be remembered at all. But that also extends to, of course, Janet Lee's daughter where Jamie Lee Curtis uh, gets the role in Halloween. And and actually I believe there's one movie before Halloween. She gets a lot of roles as scream, scream Queens because she's Janet Lee's daughter. And they're like, well, yeah, it's the lady from psycho. Like, why wouldn't you put her daughter in something? Uh, especially a horror movie. I know. That's so crazy that that is a thing, but I understand after seeing this and understanding it's like, impact on culture why you would make that choice i also think jamie lee curtis is a great actress so like this is one of those nepo situations where i'm kind of okay i get it yeah now the bates house which we saw when we did halloween horror nights yeah i literally posted a photo of that today i was gonna tell you to post it when the episode came out and then i woke up this morning and saw that it was already posted i was like oh all right oh i'm i'll post it again yeah i'm gonna (laughs) post it again i love that photo because they have like a look like like behind us with a knife and he looks a lot like anthony perkins it's so great yeah he does it's amazing so that house is the original house but it has been moved from a couple different locations. Yeah. The motel has been rebuilt and replicated. Um, there have also been fires that have caused them to change or update some of those sets. But most of this film, as far as the the motel and the house, were filmed on the, the Universal backlot. Okay, cool. So even though they're not in the exact position that they were, that is where the movie was filmed. Yeah, I did notice that where we took the photo in front of that house did not look like like landscape wise at all like the movie but i mean they could have just literally moved the house across the lot like you can do that you know well and and that's so it's the universal backlot now this movie is actually made by paramount pictures now if that's confusing uh different studios fund different portions of movies for different portions of the project's lifetime so like sony might pay to make something that ends up being distributed by Warner Brothers or things like that. Well, because there are two different business processes, right. right? One's production and one's, all right, how do we get this movie seen by as many people as possible? Yeah, there is also, even if something is not made by Universal, you can pay to rent the Universal lot. So if you know that Universal has a set that you want or space to build a set that you want, you could potentially shoot there. Universal does 
ultimately end up getting the distribution rights to Psycho. Um, but Paramount Pictures had paid for production and they gave Alfred Hitchcock an extremely small budget because they really hated the source material of the novel about Ed Gein. And so they also allowed him to take full points on the back end. He got almost all of the box office earnings because they thought this movie was going to make no money. And it makes him oh my a... God. B- Gajillionaire, essentially. This wow. makes him a fortune. Yeah, let's okay. So I have all that information in box office, but that's awesome. I did not know that. Yes. That is so, so smart of him. And also, like, it's just like him believing in himself, really. Like, yes. You know, that's great. Good for him. Now, the like, as we we're just talking about, like, where you can film and where you can't. Disneyland refused to let Alfred Hitchcock shoot at Disneyland uh, <laughs> in the early 60s because he had made Psycho and they didn't want to have any association with him. Wild. Okay. Now, back to him fiddling with the sound. As we talked about, he didn't really want to score, uh, but he was very, very particular about the sound. So the line where Anthony Perkins says, Mother, oh God, God, blood, blood, he actually altered the sound of that recording to remove the bass frequency so he sounded more like a frightened child that's awesome yeah there's also that okay at the very last shot when it crossfades into him pulling the car out of the swamp or whatever you see her mouth over his smile like you very quickly see like the decayed teeth of his mother it's like yeah a really cool effect for the 60s and it's done really well well. like there's so much in this movie that like you can just tell it was made in the 60s right but it's like shot at like a much more recent level of quality it's hard to explain yes no it's art i mean it's there it's a classic film for a reason because there's yes. a lot of shitty movies now in modern times yes. this movie is made very very well i've made a bunch of shitty movies mm. like <laughs> like this is a master class in like how to frame a shot yes how to like create tension in a scene that's why they teach it in film school yeah like it's it's so so good like i've only seen north by northwest from hitchcock before this you got to get into hitchcock hitchcock movies are dope which i love i love north by northwest but all of his other ones are like quote horror so i just hadn't seen them we'll talk about that in just a second actually because i have i think we should do more like i think we should do more of his shit because it's like He's great. Rear window, man. Rear, well, Dial M for Murder, also great. But Rear Window sure. is probably my favorite. A little bit, uh, an extra note on the salary thing. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, no worries. So uh, his standard salary would have been $250,000 in 1960s money, uh, which is a lot of money because he was already famous by the time he made this movie. Uh, but he gave up his salary in exchange for 60% of the movie's gross earnings. Not net, gross. That's Awesome. That's so much. Paramount agreed because they thought it would be less than $250,000. By the way, that's not even $3 million today. That's like $2.6 almost million dollars today, which I will argue is low for an Alfred Hitchcock type director today. For someone that famous, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like Jordan Peele, if he were to direct a movie that he wasn't also himself funding, would demand a quote that's way more than 2.5 2.5 or 6 million dollars you know what i'm saying and and so the, a little peek into how the industry works uh directors they might not have a salary that large but what they might have is multiple credits and points on the back end yeah. which will ultimately make them a lot more than that money but their actual directing fee 
is probably that or not much more than that, even if they're famous, because they have other contract negotiation portions that will feed into what they ultimately make. And a lot of it will get funneled through a production company that will like their own production company. So they get a name on it. It's like a whole thing. Yeah. But let's talk about Hitchcock's other movies uh, for a bit, because as I mentioned, Hitchcock was already famous. He'd already done Vertigo and North by Northwest at this time. Yeah. But we mentioned uh, Diabolique a couple minutes ago with that girl who wouldn't take it back. <laughs> Diabolique yeah. is a uh, French film, a French new wave film uh, directed by Henri Georges Clouseau, who was a very famous noir film director he basically at the time it was like him and hitchcock locked in a battle of wills and all of the critics when diabolique came out said that clouseau had out hitchcocked hitchcock and diabolique if you have not seen it uh which maybe we'll do diabolique at some point it is black and white uh and it is a small scale gritty black and white independent noir and so Hitchcock heard this and was like, I'm going to do my own black and white, gritty, independent noir. And it ends up being this movie. <laughs> and for as famous as Diabolique is, if you went to film school, uh, most people just remember Psycho. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he won, I think, basically. Man, I love when artists get real petty with their art. Like, they're so good at their art. Like, they're not. there's not much to challenge them. So they pick a fight with someone who's also really good just so they can spite create. And I understand that cycle. But I think there's something to be, I think competition is yes. good things happen. It makes you it. better. Like, like if you're really yeah. good at something, you don't push yourself to be even better unless someone pushes you. Yeah, I agree. Or you sort of force yourself to through like various like requirements that you make on yourself. Right. Yes. yes. Like I'm going to start a podcast, not really knowing how to do that. And then figuring shit out. But I but I know Todd pretty well, everyone. I, I think if there was like a rival podcast that was like, we're going to be better than Todd's podcast, like Todd would uh, never sleep again. It would consume your soul in a way that nothing else would. This happened to me. Like this real life happened to me. Parcast? Yes, because yes, because Parcast started cults three weeks after we started Cult Podcast. And who's still fucking standing now? Yeah. Well, because you guys didn't lie to Spotify, maybe right. to get your Spotify deal. <laughs> and then them literally closed down your whole brand because they were sick of it, allegedly, or whatever may have happened. I don't know, but... Allegedly, finger quotes, I don't know. But, like, Google it, and it's wild. Uh, anyway, but, yeah, no, I, I probably wouldn't, although I people compare us to a lot of podcasts, and I just, like, I like those podcasts. Well, that, that's different than someone being like, I specifically am going to do this better than you, which is what Cluzo did, where he's just like, I'm going to be better than you specifically i'm calling you specifically out that i'm gonna be better than you and then he made a thing and everyone's like he may have done it and then alfred hitchcock was like hold my fucking can of sardines and was like let's we're gonna make he ate sardines all the time he's a weird man i don't think i would if someone said that like called that shot and was like i'm gonna produce a podcast better than todd i'd be like good luck buddy like I know how long it takes to build something like this, and it's so much fucking work. But what if they did? It's not just that they said it. Yeah, but they did a good podcast. It's it, Yeah, it's it's not just that they said it. It's that he did it, and he said it, and then he maybe did it. Like, if somebody was like, I'm going to do a podcast better than Todd, and then they released a podcast, and everyone's like, this is the best horror comedy podcast that's ever existed. And he's like, yeah, take that. <laughs> 
Todd. Like that would drive you insane. No, I would just leave, take that like Robbie Williams and then release banger after banger until people were like, who was take that? Oh, I love take that. Oh boy. That's the kind of petty I am. But listen, everyone benefits. It's the kind of petty that will make you work 20 extra hours a week on a side project because it's fun. Anyway, back to fun facts. Briefly, I'll I'll make these some of our last ones. So one of the other elements of this movie is the marketing aspect of this movie. Okay. So uh, they didn't want to give anything of the story away. He wanted to keep keep it a secret. So all the promo in theaters, like in the lobbies of the theaters, was just a cardboard cutout of Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock himself pointing to his watch with a sign that says the manager of this theater has been instructed at the risk of his life not to admit to the theater any persons after the picture starts any spurious attempts to enter by the side doors fire escapes or ventilating shafts will be met by force you can't die hard into this movie is what he's saying yes the entire (laughs) objective of this extraordinary policy of course is to help you enjoy psycho more alfred hitchcock which is so strange like it's really weird but it works because people were like what the fuck is this movie exactly that's what i would think too and he is the kind of like director that i mean he's in this movie in a shot right you see him in like the second shot yeah he is at six minutes and 35 seconds yeah so like he puts himself in his own stuff like i could definitely see him doing something like this and it works though because it's like such a weird thing yeah uh, two quick camera notes and then we'll we'll end on a cool fun fact. So to give the impression that viewers were also voyeurs in the story, uh, he used a 50 millimeter lens on his 35 millimeter camera and it gives the closest approximation to human vision at the time. Yeah. We can do it a lot better now, but at the time, yeah. he specifically did it in scenes where Norman is spying on Marion uh, or whenever Norman is watching other people come to the motel or walk in interesting okay also they had to build a six foot diameter shower with the shower head that was angled and tall enough to shoot out of frame and not hit cameras so like Wild. yeah so they had to like build a fake shower because it doesn't look like it's six feet deep you know what i'm saying yes but it's so they that they could film the scene so that they like they had the actual set, but then they had a specific shower set on its own, separate yeah. from the whole bathroom. Uh, and also they do use a body double for a lot of those scenes, in part because there was some debate about who would show what and who was what was in what's contracts. Now, Janet Lee, and this will be our last fun fact, used a body double, but seeing the movie, she said it moved her because it is pretty seamless. You don't know that it's not her. Yeah. Um, and she remarked, that it made her realize how vulnerable women are in the shower. And to the end of her life, she said that she always took baths. I would argue more vulnerable in a bath, but that's just me. And those are your fun facts. I think so too. Thank you for those fun facts, Paige. I do think you would be more vulnerable in a bath. And I say that as someone who like, I dig a bath every now and then. Like standing up, you're ready to fight. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but you like from a bath, you gotta like yeah, you're climb up down. out of mm-hmm. the water. Like if someone's coming at you to stab you, it's over, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about box office, even though Paige sort of alluded to some of this. Let's talk about the specifics of the money Alfred Hitchcock made yes. from this movie. So the budget for this movie, Paige, you may have to recuse yourself. I do, yeah. But Mikey, do you want to take a guess? 
One million. Okay, you're actually not too far off, but that's a little bit high. It was eight hundred and six thousand nine hundred and forty-seven dollars. That that would be roughly eight point three million dollars today, which isn't a low-budget movie by any account, but is for like a Hitchcock movie, right? Um. Anyway, so I don't have the weekly breakdowns of the box office, but. Mikey, do you want to guess how much it made in theaters, and we'll just say worldwide, in 1960? This would be a lot, but like $5 million? So, okay, yeah, $5 million would have been a lot in 1960. It made $32 million Jesus. in 1960, yeah. which is, uh, if you adjust for inflation to today's dollars... $332.6 million today, of which I think, Paige, you said he got 60%? 60% of the gross, yeah. Yeah, so he would have gotten like 60% of that, which, here, I'll do the math. Let's just see. Yeah, so that would be uh, <laughs> right at $200 million. It's $199.5 million is what we theorized his paycheck from Psycho was because of the points. That's great. Anyway, that's your box office. So, Mikey, do you want to hit him with that scary scale? Yeah, scary scale. Listen to a scale of 1 to 10 of how scary we found the film when we watched it. Our one example is Ghostbusters, and our 10 example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Pay. Um, I mean, it's it's a 1 for me. I think the first time, if I didn't know the twist, it would have been a 2 or 3. Okay. Yeah, I would say it's a 1 for me, too. And had I not had the all the pertinent information of the story spoiled for me a long, long time ago, it probably would have been a 2 or a 3, like if you went in blind to it. But it's not. it's not really that scary. Yeah, I'm with Paige. I think the first time it was like probably like a two or three. And now it's now that I've seen it a few times, it's at a one where all things land. And that's yeah. our scary scale. So this week, you guys made us watch for our 300th episode celebration, the movie Psycho. What are you going to make us watch next week? As we continue, yay, we can watch these new movies now because the strike is over. So next week we're going to do It's a Wonderful Knife, uh, which I'm so excited about because it's a horror take on It's a Wonderful Life, and it's on Shudder. It premiered this week or last week. I don't know when this episode comes out, but it's definitely on there now, so whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about it. And it might be the only Christmas movie we get to do on the Horror Virgin this year, so I'm excited to possibly have a reoccurrence of Christmas Mikey on this podcast. I'm ready. I got my Christmas mug that I drank coffee of today. I saw you. You were drinking Mm -hmm. out of a a mug shaped like Santa's head. I didn't want to say anything, but I loved it. Mm -hmm. So your homework for next week is to get a Santa mug and watch It's a Wonderful Knife. On Shutter. So, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? Mm, totally forgot about that. Well, while you're looking one up, let me read a Spotify comment that was left under our uh, 30 Days of Night Revisited episode that came out last week. And this comment comes from Shayna, and she just said, Definitely going to rewatch Spartacus after listening to this episode. Hell yeah. Which I happen to know Paige did as well after having that conversation with us that then became the episode. So, Shayna, I get it. Mikey, whose review are you going to read this week? I'm going to do Rachel1812. Well, what does Rachel1812 have to say? Great energy. Nice. (laughs) Exclamation point. Uh, I love these three. Great voices. Legends in our time. Five stars. Wow. Legends in our time is something that I just have to agree with because she said it with confidence. (laughs) So thank you so much for that awesome five-star review. And if you want to have Mikey read your five-star review or or me read your Spotify comment, do one of those things. Okay. 
So guys, if you like this show but want to hear this power thruple on another movie review show about romance and romantic comedies, check out Romancing the Pod, where Mikey, Paige, and I break down and make fun of romantic movies. It's a lot of fun, guys. Check it out. If you want to follow us on social, please do. We are at Horror Virgin or online at HorrorVirgin.com. If you want to follow us all individually, you can do that as well. Paige is at Paige Wesley on Twitter or Rampage Wesley everywhere else, including Tim. TikTok. Mikey is at M Randolph 24 and I am at Todd J awesome. If you like the show so much and you want to help financially support it, please do by going to patreon.com slash horror virgin where you can get a lot of great levels and a lot of great stuff like bonus episodes, director's cut episodes where they're a little bit longer and you get them actually a day earlier mm-hmm, than the mm-hmm. regular feed drop. We do a lot of great things like listener requests and stuff like that. So guys check out yeah. the Patreon and help support the show. If you want to financially support me, but not Todd, just look me up on Venmo. If you can't financially support the show, that's understandable, that's fine, but if you want to hang out with us on the daily, join the Facebook group uh, at facebook.com slash group slash horrorvirgin. We also link it like once a week, so just find it there and join the awesome Facebook group. Literally, we're in there talking every day. It's awesome. And guys, we got a P.O. box, so if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a P.O. box, it's actually not a P.O. box. It's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. And if you want to check out our Twitch stream, we're at twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, where we will be playing horror video games. So if you have always wondered what it would be like to watch me get scared, you can now do that on Twitch while I play these horror games. It's twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, guys. Check it out. It's a lot of fun for you. Not a lot of fun for me. This episode brought to you by Tia, and Tia's teenager's been, like, driving her crazy this week. So how is Tia's teenager driving her crazy? She's showering too much, wasting all the water. <laughs> all the hot water. I don't know. Teenage, My teenage years are probably when I needed to shower the most. Ew. Yeah. I was a stinky boy. This episode also brought to you by Jonathan, and Jonathan wants me to make you guys watch some videos, so I'm going to steal your screens right now and do just that. This one is also from TikTok. Oh, it's a wandering spider. Mm. That is so big. This spider gets your dick hard, Mikey. Yeah, it's ripism. What? Okay, it's not quite as big as I thought it was, but that's it's still big. What? In in the rainforest. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I guess in the Amazon you can uh, use a wandering snake bite for um. Who fear boner? Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. That would be a fear boner for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for uh, giving us. I'm going to say holistic Viagra supplements, and we now return you to another episode of the, the Patreonicals. All right, welcome back. Isaac's been kidnapped. Oh, has he? Yeah. So, uh, okay. Karuna and Natasha are like, gather up, children, and everyone else follow us. We're going to go rescue them. And then Libby's like, I'm taking the train forward this way. Allie's still, she's developed sickness in the wasteland. The water she's, they've gathered for her is radiated. So she's sick. And 